Yes, the pay gap is closing, but we're still being asked to do more work with maybe technology we don't understand for pay that has stagnated or gone up maybe at the rate of inflation, maybe. Um, and so these people who are doing this very important work still perhaps rightly feel undercompensated in a lot of respects. Welcome to Newhouse Impact, the podcast showcasing the research and creative work being done at the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications. I'm Kevin Claus, and on this episode, I chat with Newhouse doctoral student Stan Jastrzebski about generational changes in public media. We examine these changes from both an organizational level and an individual perspective. Stan, thanks so much for swinging by today. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Now, you're working with the American Journalist Project to study the public media subsample. And that might be a a difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around. So how did you become aware of this study? And why did you specifically want to take a look at public radio? So the study itself has been going on for several decades now. Uh, It began with research in actually the early 1970s. It was taken over by a guy named David Weaver at Indiana University in the early 1980s. And he's been working on it ever since. And he actually handed it off to Lars Wilnat, who's my advisor and who's now here at Syracuse. And uh, Lars has been doing it for the last couple of cycles. And basically what it is, is it's the biggest survey of attitudes of American journalists. And so the whole big study talks to about or tries to find as many as 15,000 people. So we sent out lots and lots of invitations via email and letter and things like that. And then when I wound up here as a PhD student, I had spent 12 years working as a public radio news director in Indiana and Florida. And I thought it might be interesting to pull out a section of those journalists and see if they had specific thoughts on what public media was doing, since I'd spent a number of years working in that field myself. And so we got a separate group of people who were not included in the big survey, and we asked them some public media-specific questions uh, in addition to the big, long 90-question survey that we were asking of everybody. And uh, it was it was interesting because there has not been a lot of study done of public media in the United States. There's been some study of the BBC, for instance, in Britain. But uh, asking questions of public media journalists in this country is not something that's really been done outside of occasional surveys that uh, ask questions of news directors or there's a lot of study at the station level of analysis. So you're asking the general manager, what that person thinks of the station. But that's not always the same as what the journalists feel. And I can certainly speak to that as someone who's been trying to, in my own life as a news director, take the thoughts of the journalists and pass them up the chain to the to the general manager. And there can be some disconnects there. So we thought it was a really good idea to get the public media journalists themselves to have a voice and tell us who they are and what they think. So I would assume your your past history, your past employment made this an interesting thing for you to for you to work on. Do you think it also helped inform some of the specific questions you wanted to ask maybe because maybe the questions you were going to be asking people were things you had felt in your own work? 
Yes and no. I, I wanted to be a little careful of that because you don't want to introduce your own personal mm -hmm. biases into the research, of course. And so we wanted to try to make it as generally applicable to as many newsrooms as we possibly could. And so some of the questions in this year's survey are about issues of trust in democracy as it relates to journalism, issues of threats that are being faced by journalists in the last several years. And also, there are kind of these existential questions that newsrooms always have to face. Who are we? What do we do? How well do we represent our communities? And so one of the questions we added this year was to the public media journalists, how well do you represent your community in terms of, say, race, gender, sexual orientation, trying to figure out, do the people who are doing the reporting represent well those people on whom they are reporting? Uh, and as we know, that can make a difference in how stories are told. And so we were curious to find out what public media journalists thought about the compositions of their newsroom, in addition to the sorts of stories they were telling and the sorts of tools they were using, like social media. So we were trying to find out if they thought there were still gains that had to be made or there were problems that needed correcting to do the work of public media journalism. Was there some sort of a consensus to answer that big first question that you just kind of alluded to of does that newsroom reflect the community? Was there any kind of a consensus that your data shows on that? I would say the data shows that there is work left to be done, that improvements have been made, but that there is still a long way to go. For instance, in if you look at the country as a whole demographically, we are getting very close to a 50-50 split between white people and people of color. Mm -hmm. And we are nowhere near that in really almost anywhere in journalism. But public media has made some gains. We are, Our numbers show that more than a fifth of all public media journalists are now people of color. That's up significantly from the numbers we saw in the 10 years ago survey that was done of, of all journalists. And indeed, the numbers for the whole sample are up too. So that's a good sign. Um, we are seeing that the pay gap between men and women is closing. It's not quite closed yet, but it's getting smaller. So again, making improvements, but we don't want to rest on our laurels. We still want to you know, get that to be parity. Um, and you, we're looking also at what do we know about ourselves? And so there were some interesting questions that were asked uh, in terms of what do you know about the people you work with? And so we asked, how well does your does your newsroom represent your community in terms of, say, political orientation? And there was a significant percentage that said, I don't know. Now, in a lot of studies, you would throw that number out. You would say this is not a valid percentage. But in this case, that's an interesting number because you should know about your community politically. So if you assume that people can go to voter records or indeed just the last election and find out something about yourselves politically, about the people you're covering, then what that means is I don't know much about my colleagues' politics, which can be a good or a bad thing. I mean, they're the longstanding thing in journalism is we're supposed to try to be as objective as possible, right? So you don't want to necessarily go around broadcasting your political views. That's fine and good. But should you know something about your possible biases and those of your colleagues to keep an eye on them so that they don't become a problem? Well, that's an open question. Same thing happened when we asked about political orientation. 
Now, this is a little harder because obviously you're, you're probably not going to have some sort of readily available data like you would have with voter data for your community. Likewise, it's a tough conversation to have mm-hmm. in a newsroom, and you wouldn't necessarily be professional to ask your colleagues about their sexual orientation. And so there, we still have about a fifth of people who say, I don't know. Now, that could be from either of those two vectors, but it means that there is still some information lacking there that might be helpful one way or another. So you either choose to have tough conversations or you choose to to kind of keep that information in the background. And that's obviously for each individual person and each individual newsroom to figure out. But we at least want to foster these conversations to say you should be proactive in thinking about how you talk about these things, these these issues that we've typically had a tough time talking about, because at least having the conversation or at least knowing that the conversation is available to be had could be a good thing for newsroom growth and for better representation across as many of these different vectors as we can get. So you alluded to before that one of the questions you were asking was if if these journalists had either been threatened by violence or had encountered any violence um, publicly or in a different setting. From someone on the outside, just based on following headlines and following the news, that's something I feel I see more in media coverage. Did the research show that? We have seen that a a significant percentage of journalists, even public media journalists, uh, are experiencing threats. About two of every five people have said that they have gotten some sort of threat. And we found a scale that asked questions about various types of threats and also asked, did you face them in person or did you face them online? It probably will not surprise a lot of listeners to find out that online threats are more common. Uh, This happens more often. But still, every threat is to be taken seriously. And we find a couple of trends that are particularly worrisome. For instance, we find that sexism is still a real problem. Women are much more likely to face sexist comments than men, um, seven to nine times more likely among public media journalists, depending online or offline. Uh, We find that men are more likely to face threats of physical violence. Um, So they are more likely to be confronted and have to you know, consider whether that some actual physical harm is going to come to them. And uh, so you think about public media, which over the years has been, you know, kind of stayed and very calm. And you would think these people are not causing problems as journalists for people. They're not we're not bombastic as public media journalists. And yet they are still facing a lot of the same threats that their commercial media brethren are. And so this is something to be taken seriously. We, we know that it has been a rough last decade or so for journalists in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, these threats are one of the ways that, that you're right, that uh, the outside appearance does seem to match up with the data. So we've talked about uh, how well these journalists feel like their newsroom represents the community and about uh, threats of violence. What are some of the other questions that you guys asked that you felt yielded some real strong data for you guys? So we asked a question about how well public media newsrooms could support democracy. And we asked, what actions do you think you could take 
to have your public media newsroom support democracy. And, and we got a wide range of responses because we asked it in an open-ended format. And so we're still sort of analyzing that data, but we're hoping that this summer, when we make presentations of this data to the Public Media Journalists Association Conference in Seattle, that we will be able to to try to find some through lines and say, here are the things that several people said might be good so that public media can do two things. One, survive and thrive, but two, help people, because at the end of the day, it's a public service. It's supposed to be useful to folks. It's supposed to be trying to give guidance on how to solve problems. And so that's one of the reasons we asked a question like this, is to try to allow the expertise of the journalists and their experiences to come through to say, we believe we can be useful to democracy and the forwarding of American democracy in the following ways. And now you have to separate that a little bit from partisanship. And this was another big finding of our study was was we asked how people rated themselves on a couple of different scales with respect to partisanship and political orientation. And we find that that public media journalists do rate themselves a little bit more politically liberal or left leaning than the overall sample of, you know, more than a thousand journalists. Commercial journalists and public media journalists that were the main sample of the survey. So, slightly more, when especially when you consider the people who say not just I am a Democrat, but I am an independent, but I lean towards voting for Democrats. And so, trying to understand that this is a set of human beings, that these are people who have feelings and have proclivities, and a lot of times in journalism, our responsibility is to put those on the back burner. To, to not put a political yard sign out to, I know some people who don't vote because they feel like it compromises their objectivity. And I can understand that argument. I know some people who, when they go to a, an event to cover it and there's a free, there's free food or even a free bottle of water, will not even take the free bottle of water because they feel it compromises their objectivity. And so some really, really heady people who are trying their level best to be the best journalists they can be and try to be seen that way, but at the same time, understanding that these are still human beings who have ideas, who have thoughts, who have opinions they want to express, but may not be able to do it in their jobs. And so we're trying to kind of weigh those two things and show the whole person, but also ask them, what do you think in your job needs to be done And then what we've done, we hope, in showing these two things is show where some of the the work may need to be done of how do you let the human be a human, but how do you let the journalists do their job too? So you guys obviously reached out to a lot of public media organizations uh, to get the data for this research. What was that process like? And was part of that process making sure that you guys touched on some, some larger stations, some smaller stations, and also just the demographics that those stations served. Was that part of the process? It was a very laborious process, <laughs> as it always is with this study, because there are no huge databases out there of, here are all the journalists in the <laughs> United States. If there was such a database, we would gladly have paid for it. Instead, we had to do the work, the manual work of creating it ourselves. So we initially started out in the public media sample of thinking, all right, well, maybe we want to sample half of the public media stations in the country. So the first thing I did was I went to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting's website, which maintains a list of all of the stations in the country that get what they call community service grants. And I'm sure WAER is among those. 
And there are about 525 of those around the country. So some of those had already been put into the main sample. So we, t- we took those out. So we made sure we didn't ask the same people twice. So then we were left with about 480 stations. And we added in NPR itself as well as PBS. Um, only sampled about half of the people in each of those because otherwise they're their people would just drown out the sample because there are so many more people who work for NPR and PBS themselves rather than member stations like WAER. And we ended up having to just survey everybody. So we, I went through every single one of those, I think it was 483 websites, um, and tried to look at the station staff page or the About Us page or the Meet the Team page. And then um, what we did was we said, all right, there's got to be other ways to find folks. So university-affiliated stations like this one in some cases have uh, university directories that you can look through. So I looked through those for any university-affiliated station. I looked at the state websites in a lot of cases. There are things like Georgia Public Broadcasting where you can find the entire list of people who work for Georgia Public Broadcasting on the state site as state employees, uh, but not on the actual Georgia Public Broadcasting website. And so if I have one message to public broadcasters for when we do this again in 10 years is, heavens to Betsy, please put your names on your websites. (laughs) It would make our lives so much easier. So we went and we found still only a fraction of what we know are the number of public media journalists. The the Station Resource Group, which is a group that helps to provide research to public media stations, catalogs that there are about 4,400 public media journalists in the country right now, give or take. We were only able to find about half that number in terms of names. And then when it came to verifying people's email addresses and verifying that people still worked at the station where they were listed, that number got bumped down to fewer than 1,400. So we're looking at, we were only able to find contact info for about one of every three journalists, public media journalists in the country. And then we sent out emails to those people. And fortunately, we got back a really nice response rate. Huge kudos to the public media journalists for Uh, getting us back about a 27% response rate, which is nearly three times what the main sample response rate was. It's very hard to get people to respond to surveys now, especially when you were asking half an hour of them like we were for our survey, because it was a 90-question survey. So it was not an insignificant amount of time that anyone who answered our survey gave us, and we're super thankful to them, because what it did was this huge process that it took us to find names and to go through all the hours it took to get people's contact info, that 27% response rate we got was enough to get us more than 300 responses and to provide data that allows us to break down the numbers by different demographic groups so that we can be a little more granular in what we tell people at the end. So that's quite the reach, quite the process, just to get in touch with people on that you mentioned before that some of those questions were open-ended so they could give you some maybe some context to an answer. How much do you think were open-ended, and did you feel like the information you got was helpful because they were able to kind of expand upon maybe what could have been a yes or no answer otherwise? We don't ask very many open-ended questions because, of course, those take a little more time mm-hmm. to answer. We already had a long survey, so we wanted to be really judicious in what we asked in an open-ended fashion. Most of the questions, the vast majority, were survey-style questions where you filled in a box or you checked that you belonged to a certain group, something like that. But 
the nice thing about the open-ended questions is it allows us to take them and try to sort through them and try to find themes of themes of things that are going right, things that may need improvement, things that have recently come up that we may not have seen in previous surveys. So we can give up-to-the-minute data of what's going on in public media newsrooms. And so those are the things that take also a little more time to to sort through. So that's kind of our next cycle of data analysis at this point, is going through all of those open-ended responses. But we have looked at them, and we've begun to see what people are saying in terms of threats. And as you might expect, some of them relate back to say, politicians who have had bad things to say about journalists in the last couple of years. No surprise there. But also people say, look, we're still underpaid that, yes, the the pay gap is closing, but we're still being asked to do more work with maybe technology we don't understand for pay that has stagnated or gone up maybe at the rate of inflation, maybe. Um, And so these people who are doing this very important work still perhaps rightly feel undercompensated in a lot of respects. And you see that what happens is that you've got changes in who is a journalist and at what stage. For instance, we see that 70 percent of journalists in our public media sample who have worked between zero and four years in the profession are women. Now, if you stretch that out, we, we do that every five years and you go out to 20 years plus it almost completely flips to where almost 70% are men. And so what we find is that while we are doing a much better job of, of hiring women than we used to in journalism, they are still not staying in the profession as long as men are. And so you have questions, therefore, to ask about what are the factors that are causing these talented women journalists to not stay in the profession as long as their male counterparts? Are there systemic things that are that are causing this? And you have to sort of then interrogate those questions, which we hope to do in a later study in more depth. But you can certainly see that there are policies in place or there are pay structures in place or, you know, perhaps just other things you, you might not want to identify as part of your newsroom that are like forcing out these talented women. And we you want to try to say, ideally, your graph would be completely flat to say it's 50-50 all the way along, whether you've worked a day in this profession or whether you've worked 30 years in this profession. But that is not what we see in public media or in commercial media. And so one of our goals is to try to figure out and hopefully provide some guidance for newsrooms hey, this is happening, and we want you to know that this is an issue that you should be paying attention to because it's affecting your talent pool. It's affecting your ability to do what we asked in the other question, which is use your resources to effectively portray your community and the reporting that's done about your community. So given what you just said, I have to assume as you, when you got down to that 1,400 or so journalists number that to be able to reach out to a significant number of women working in public media was a priority for you guys, correct? Well, we we reached out to every single person in that 1,400 we could okay. find. And so we didn't at the very start ask, uh, well, let's make sure we have a proportional sample. Now, the beauty of what we got back was made just made me smile because – Of our respondents, we had 342 people respond from the public media. It was nearly a 50-50 split between men and women. So I was super thankful for that because it allows us a nice sample of more than 150 people each among men and women, plus a few uh, gender non-binary or trans people 
or or anyone else who wanted to identify themselves in another way, uh, we could we could break out these numbers a little bit and we could begin to ascertain whether one group believed something more than another. For instance, we found that when we broke down the question of how well does your newsroom represent your community by race, we found that women were much more likely to say that it was that their newsroom was not doing a good job representing the racial makeup of their community than men said. And so we, we have a nice enough sample, uh, a pretty good 50, close to 50-50 split that allows us now to go and do a little bit deeper data uh, delving and try to find out do men believe some things? Do women believe some things? And hopefully that'll go back to what I was saying, which is allow us to give slightly more granular data back to the stations to say, this is what your folks are telling us. And we have no reason to believe people are lying to us necessarily. Um, and so hopefully these honest responses balanced as they wound up in the sample will be then useful to the stations, which is our ultimate goal. Because if you're doing research just for the sake of research, it's kind of like going into the ether, right? But we want to be able to give back to these stations who have given us so much time and their people have given us so much time so that hopefully we're assisting them in some way. All right. Now, you just said the end goal, which is where I wanted to go next. You mentioned that this is at some point going to be presented at a conference. Is that the overall, the goal of this research is to compile the data, go to this conference, and then present it to these stations so they can be more informed about their staffing and the public which they serve? It's part of the goal. I would say that will be a start. You know, this, mm -hmm. this data set that we have allows us to be able to do several studies, we hope. So one of the things we're going to do is the conference, the Public Media Journalists Association Conference in June in Seattle. So we'll present the data in the most comprehensive way it's been presented yet to the public media journalists, many of whom hopefully in the audience will have contributed their time and their thoughts to our study. And so we certainly want to give back to them in that way. But we also want to do things like compare public media journalists to commercial media journalists and try to find out if there are differences in thoughts, beliefs, practices between those two groups. And we want to use this as the start because, as we said, there's there's not a lot, confusingly, that's been done about interviewing public media journalists or asking their thoughts. And, and maybe that's because historically there just haven't been more than a few thousand of them at any given point in the country. And so it's a relatively small group to try to pull from. So the fact that we have a beginning signifies that maybe there is a willingness, especially since our, our response rate was so good and, and in fact better than the overall response rate from the 15,000 people we tried to get in the main sample, Maybe there is an appetite among public media folks to learn more about their profession, and we hope to, to use that and build on it for future study because we see this as a, a form of media that is worthwhile. Uh, I, I, I always felt that when I was working in public media, we were doing some good, and that was one of the best things about being a public media journalist was every so often you could do a story that you felt, my gosh, we made a difference today. And that's a great feeling as a journalist. And it's one you don't get every single day. A lot of times you feel like you're just doing the next newscast or doing the next interview. But every once in a while, you put something out and you're like, doggone it, that was nice. I'm glad we did that. I'm glad we were able to make a difference. And it seems 
that that my perception of public media journalists in that way, I, I, I want to continue thinking that that most public media journalists believe that. And, and I believe that our sample suggests that they will continue to engage with us. They will continue, hopefully, to answer questions that we have. And, and hopefully that will enable us to ask even more interesting questions going down the line and thus make this something that goes from being relatively understudied to something that's maybe better understood through, uh, you know, well-done research. Stan, thanks so much for swinging by today. I really appreciate your time. Kevin, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Glad to be here. Thanks for listening to Newhouse Impact, a collaboration between WAER and the Newhouse School at Syracuse University. Our associate producer is Emma Hudson. Special thanks to Dr. Regina Luttrell, Associate Dean of Research and Creative Activity. Find more from the department at newhouse.syr.edu research. You can find more about this podcast at waer.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. I'm Kevin Kloss. Thanks for listening.